Welcome to this special podcast series, Digital Titans, brought to you by Vita Mojo and Hospitality Mavericks. I'm Amy from Vita Mojo, and I'm excited to take you on this journey as we explore the digital transformation of the hospitality industry. During this series, you'll hear from industry leaders from the likes of Leon, the Azura Group, and Amazon. We'll talk through how they transform their business with digital solutions while meeting the changing needs of the market. Over to Michael and this week's guests. You need to be thirsty and learn as much as you can. We're all morons, basically. You know, we all know less than 1% of everything that's out there in regards to digital and technology. And so coming out of that with humility and recognizing that, you know, I know almost nothing and using that as an opportunity just to learn and soak up as much as you can, whether that's from your vendors, whether that's from your teams, whether that's from external sources, you know, podcasts like this or uh, conferences, books, etc. This is Joel Robinson, Digital and Technology Director at Asui Group, which operate the brand Sissy Ask Italian and Coco de Mamer. In this conversation, Joel gives his definition of digital transformation. He shares his views on on where he thinks hospitality industry is when it comes to adaption of technology and what to do to get ahead of the curve. We talk about barriers to successful digital transformation and the need for more significant investment into technology in hospitality. He also shares how the Asui Group used the quiet period in the pandemic to get a better and stronger tech stack implemented. We discussed the consequences of the huge amount of tech that has been activated during the pandemic and what to do about it from an infrastructure point of view. We talk data, especially the need to use and manage all the new data that is arriving in an efficient way. What data do we need to make better decisions and how do we store it and make it that data available to people in the organization when they need it. We touch on the current staffing crisis in the hospitality industry and what takes roles in this and Joe believe that one of the next big move is a huge investment in giving employees better tools to get the job done in kitchen, supply chain, safety and workforce management. Joel's also shares his thought on cybersecurity and the power of written down goals and how to involve and listen more to the frontline employees via tech and much more. If you're a hungry learner when it comes to digital transformation and hospitality, I would recommend you to download a copy of the free Report Digital Transformation of Hospitality, created by Vita Mojo, Cam Media, and us here at Hospitality Mavericks. We interviewed more than 100 leaders across the hospitality industry to understand where they are now, how they are adapting to change, and how the future looks when it comes to digital transformation. You can download the report via the link in the show notes or at vitamojo.com under the resource tab. We start out the conversation with Joel giving an overview of his background in retail and what his role is at the Rizui Group. Over to you, Joel. I joined the Azuri Group nearly two years ago uh, in a newly created role. It's actually two years in August uh, to lead the digital and, and IT teams across all four of our brands. So a central function that serves all of the brands in the group. Um, it's fair to say the last two years has have not been entirely as I expected. Um, but prior to the Aziri group, um, I was at Sainsbury's for, for 10 years across a variety of roles, 
including working in the commercial teams, operations teams, and then latterly in digital and, and IT. Uh, my last role at Sainsbury's was leading the agile transformation across our digital and technology division. And I guess that you have, over the last decade, both in, in, in retail and now hospitality, seen these uh, you know big tipping points around digital transformation. Can, can you share some of them you've seen and what has really, really tipped things in in direction to become more digital in the way we operate yeah I, I think it's interesting to think actually about the phrase digital transformation because i'm not the biggest fan of of that phrase to be honest because i'm not really sure what it means there's kind of two reasons why i'm i'm not keen on it perhaps i'm being a little cynical but it, it risks being a kind of hook or label that can allow tech leaders to spend quite a lot more money than they might otherwise do on kind of large programs of change that can often be quite ill-defined. And the phrase can often make it seem like it's generated from and is the kind of responsibility of digital or or an IT division, whereas successful transformations are genuinely and truly kind of universal in their nature, even if they are underpinned by technology. So I think the answer isn't focusing on transformation per se but what is the organization actually trying to achieve in really clear and simple language and when you do that it becomes much clearer to say where is the tipping point so one example which is relevant to hospitality and also to retail could be focusing on the percentage of transactions that you're able to attach a customer record to the basket data for you. And you're typically doing that in order to drive a more personalized and relevant experience for your customer and enable your business to make better decisions by providing deeper insights into customer behavior. But when you phrase that as an outcome, as opposed to just talking about digital transformation, you can start to quite easily measure where you are, articulate the target that you're trying to get to and why by talking about the opportunity of an unlock and then build a path to get there. Um, when I was at Sainsbury's, we moved to that approach across the whole division. So we ended up effectively structuring our investment plan, which you know was very significant given the size of, of Sainsbury's around those key measurable outcomes. So we didn't talk about transformation per se. We talked about what we're trying to achieve and then built a technology roadmap of transformation to get there. And what we saw was when we moved to that approach, we saw our portfolio of technology investments move from a negative ROI to a positive ROI in less than six months. It was really profound. And that, that's super interesting because what you are saying is that digital transformation is a bit like the word sustainability. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We all think we know what it means, but we really don't. And it becomes a bit scary when you have to take it into a business context because it's difficult to break it down to the exact things that's going to happen. And that was also what you said you learned by actually changing the the approach to business outcome and organizational outcomes instead. I think that's really, really interesting. So if we take that, um, where do you think as coming from retail into hospitality, where do you think hospitality is compared to, to other industries? There's this famous Harvard University and McKinsey did some years ago where they took these different industries and said, you know, some of them are really, you know, leading edge and others they are really lacking behind. And hospitality was down in, in, in the rock bottom. With a, with a couple of other industries. Yes, I used that very study in my first presentation to the Zuri board when I when I joined within a couple of months. Um, so my, my, my experience in the sector isn't vast. Obviously, I've only been here for coming up to a couple of years. But my sense is we're probably about five to 10 years behind retail 
which is obviously my my most relevant com- comparison point given my background. I think the most obvious proof point is significantly lower levels of customer digital penetration than other sectors in the percentage of transactions that take place on some form of digital platform, even if it's just pay at table at the end of a dining experience. Um, But there are also other factors such as, you know, the maturity of the underlying tech architecture within the organizations, the maturity of the partner ecosystem, and also how um, organizations are designed uh, and the talent within uh, organizations. So I think there is, you know, there's a long, long way to go. You just said as well that retail is a bit ahead of the curve, quite significant ahead of the curve. What is the difference then? What is it that that retail has achieved that hospitality hasn't achieved yet? I think it's helpful to think of this in in two sectors, and that this is probably biased by the fact that I've worked at a grocer for ten years. But I'll talk about it in terms of grocers and non-grocers. So grocers were one of the earliest adopters of digital, which was initially through loyalty programs um, and more recently through e-commerce. So because it's an insanely tight margin business, uh, my old boss, Justin King, used to say that grocery retailing is all about small numbers times big numbers. Um, Tesco led the way in the 1990s, actually starting to recognize the value that that deep insight around customer behavior could provide to the organization through club card. And nowadays, there is literally not a single major customer-facing decision at the likes of Tesco and Sainsbury's, et cetera, that isn't informed by that data. Um, Most grocers have survived pretty well over the last decade, largely because their distribution networks create really deep strategic moats. You need huge amounts of capital to build a grocery supply chain, so even Amazon. It's one of the most well-capitalized companies in the world are only slowly nudging their way into grocery. Non-grocery retail, on the other hand, has been disrupted by thousands of new entrants who have built new direct-to-consumer business models with the added benefit of every transaction being digital because it takes place on an e-commerce platform and therefore providing that deep insight on every customer in the same way Clubcard did for Tesco. and what those entrants have effectively proved provided a you know real existential threat to retailers for well over five years now. And so there's been a much stronger imperative to drive change. So 10 years ago, a CIO wouldn't typically sit on an operating board at a retailer. Uh, but today, they pretty much sit on every board. And the underlying reason for that is it's all about data. It's all about knowing your customers and adapting your proposition. The grocers did that early through loyalty and then entered the e-commerce space later. And then non-grocery retailers have been disrupted by e-commerce players and have responded in kind. It is quite interesting. You talked about those different layers of where, you know, you are. Your ability to be, you know, ahead of the curve. You you needed to be on top of your data, the infrastructure, and you say the, how the organization is designed and and operate in a way. Is there anywhere where hospitality is lacking more than others compared to to catching up with this? Are they are there some places where they are reasonable strong? Are there areas where they really lack behind? I think hospitality is starting to realize a lot of these things. So you will you're starting to see, particularly in the larger groups, uh, digital and technology leaders as, as kind of part of the the management team, uh, as opposed to it being more of a kind of cost center uh, function. Um, 
and hospitality providers uh, and businesses starting to think around the competitive advantage and or disadvantage that great technology can provide them versus their competitors. I think the challenge that hospitality uh, still has is level of investment in technology um, and willingness to invest the the you know right amount of capital to drive transformation. As I say, that is easier when you're talking about what you're trying to achieve for the organization. And that tends to happen when you have the right leaders in place that are able to sit around the board table, listen to their peers, be inspired by their peers, and also inspire their peers, and then combine that into um, creating a vision. So it's ultimately about people. I'm encouraged by the progress that we are making as a sector in that regard. And if we get that right, many of the other things will follow. Yeah, and you talked about there was this inflection point in retail where you saw direct-to-consumer brands, other players suddenly enter the field and the competition became really hard at some point and retail really started to move in, especially the big retailer. Has the pandemic been driving a similar kind of pressure on hospitality? Besides, there was no other way to, to get revenue. But is this the, the tipping point you think as well that's arrived? Yeah, I think in a, in a broad sense, the pandemic has massively accelerated, um, you know, digital transformation, um, for want of the better phrase, in all in all sectors. Um, there was a recent McKinsey survey that showed companies have accelerated the digitization of their kind of customer experience, supply chain, and internal operations by about three to four years over the course of the pandemic, which does feel um, about right. And I think the pandemic's provided two things, uh, which is relevant to hospitality. The first one is an imperative to change. So across sectors, companies have just had to rapidly respond to a world where initially, at least, everyone's interactions became overwhelmingly digital. You know, even if that was with our friends and family, everything was digitally mediated. It was the entertainment that we were consuming, buying food and drink from the supermarkets or enjoying a meal prepared by a chef delivered to our door. They, they all became digitally mediated. And that has led to a, you know, a huge acceleration of investment in customer-facing technology. Um, and the other thing that the pandemic has provided is the opportunity to change. So Yes, there's the imperative, which has been caused by changing customer behavior, but the pandemic, where companies have had the capital to do so, has created, you know, it's and sometimes kind of golden windows of being able to change lots of things whilst the engine of the main business isn't running. A lot of digital transformation tech investments are often, you know, an analogy that that some people in my team often use is we're trying to change the wheels on the car whilst driving 70 miles an hour down the motorway. And it, th- that can make it significantly more challenging than if you're able to pull over to the hard shoulder and just do it there and then. So certainly within uh, Azuri, we took advantage of, you know, that in, certainly the initial lockdown where we shut everything. We didn't even have out of restaurant uh, channels to invest in some significant parts of our technology uh, stack with some new partners and we're able to do things in three months that ordinarily would have taken us nine to 12, uh, nine to 12 months. The final point I'd make around the pandemic, I think particularly 
with hospitality in mind is that there will be a lot of consequences from the kind of flurry of activity that's happened over the last 18 months. And some of them are going to need to be unpicked over the next few years. So my sense is that where companies had a well thought through strategy and roadmap ahead of the pandemic, when it comes to digital, they will have done a a better job at accelerating their progress. Where companies had to react on the hoof without that leadership and strategy in place, there are likely to be a lot of poor decision making that will just add further complexity and costs into their businesses with perhaps an unclear vision of their purpose. And that will need to be kind of unpicked over the next few years. So you were talking about, you know, uh, implementation of technologies that maybe will have a consequence because the infrastructure was not in place or what are you thinking here? Yeah, so you can quickly implement uh, solutions that appear to solve a business need uh, and and a customer need. But the way that we try to work uh, at Azuri and the way that we worked at Sainsbury's is we always have to balance the business need and the customer need alongside a technology strategy, which is ultimately uh, designed to enable broader transformation, whether it's around how we handle data, how we handle integration, uh, the infrastructure that we uh, run systems on. So uh, a lot of modern 21st century kind of IT management is effectively managing your way around legacy. Um, But I don't particularly like the phrase legacy, because, again, it's something that's, that's quite difficult to, to define. I mean, it's normally used to describe something that is a bit clunky and, and irritating to, to, to build around. Um, and what I'm effectively saying is that if you've made quick decisions in the pandemic that solve a, a business need that don't have a technology strategy that underpins them, those are just going to be the things that you talk about as legacy in two or three years' time, because you you may well have just bolted on yet another add-on to a, a, an ecosystem that is already already complex with many, many vendors. Um, and you, by doing that, you'll have pushed huge amounts of complexity uh, into your team. So a great example is the pro- proliferation of channels uh, within hospitality, You know whether that's multi-aggregator, order and pay at table, click and collect, et cetera. That all comes with real-world impact on how you manage data in terms of product information and price information, and that affects teams. So, you know, we we at the moment, like many others, have large teams of people that are managing all of that data, Um, and that has got worse over the course of the pandemic, not better, and therefore we need to go back and invest in better technology to make that more efficient through through automation. That's interesting because when you start switching on, as I had a conversation with uh, Phil LeBron, that's now at Amazon, has been at McDonald's Boys, uh, you also start to create all this data. And then you need to start to make you know, a decision about what data do we actually need? Because you don't need all of it to drive your business strategy. You need some of it. And how do you actually make sure it's not a human that has to put all that data together? And that's, again, you have to stop up to actually get that data infrastructure and Hugo from Leon said a similar thing. And so that, that that's super, super interesting. So we are, we are touching a bit here on the, on the future. What is your prediction for, you know, digitalization 
in hospitality for the future what what's going to happen the next three to five years now since we were like we've gone three to four years ahead the roadmap yeah i don't i don't see the pace of acceleration slowing down so i can't remember who who this is attributed to but one of my favorite quotes is the pace of change that you're experiencing today is the slowest pace of change for the rest of your life because <laughs> it's just going to get faster. So so I think it will continue to accelerate. We will see a significant growth in the percentage of transactions that take place on some form of a digital platform, like I say, even if it is just to pay the bill at the end of a great dining experience delivered by by a team in a restaurant. And linking back exactly to the point that you just made, that is going to generate huge amounts of data. Uh, which structured and marshaled and managed effectively can genuinely transform the way that hospitality businesses are are run in terms of delivering a a much improved customer experience through customer insight, as well as being able to operate more uh, effectively. And I think the importance of data and having the organizational maturity and technology capability to manage that data and leverage that data are going to be really critical over the next five years. Yeah, because I guess you also there has been a bit of a myth in hospitality that there's many gut decisions made, which you can actually get away from now because you have the data. And uh, I know it from my background in McDonald's where there was data from everything from the employee journey to the customer journey, and that data was used in any strategic connection when the the plans was made for the coming years. Uh, and I think that's that's the really a key difference that we are coming to now. We just need to manage that data and build the the infrastructure for it. Will this uh, will this be uh, good or better for the customer and employee experience? You think as we get this amount of data in and we are digitizing our businesses more, how, how would that be? Because a lot of people are scared about we're losing the hospitality element of our industry and you know become transactional and. It, it becomes yeah. robots instead of employees and so on. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really important that um, transformation is customer-led. You cannot force technology onto customers. And being honest, I think we're all still trying to get that balance right in the customer journey, certainly across our restaurants and I think across our peers as well. You know, we, 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 we know that customers are increasingly used to using technology at table and those customers that choose to use it value it really, really highly. But not every customer does want to use technology. And certainly we're in a position where we never want to force a customer to use technology. We want them to want to use it. We want to create a pull rather than a rather than a push. And at the moment, we're seeing about 40 to 50% of our customers using our order and pay at table platform. And what we're seeing from those customers that are using it is about a 10% MPS increase versus customers that aren't using and where we're kind of pulling feedback via Yumpingo uh, in a in a comparable manner. So, so that's really compelling. Um, and we kind of at the very beginning of our journey in times of the in terms of the customer experience that we want to deliver. So we think the customer experience will and and should improve over time as we've talked about we start to be able to use the data that we are now capturing and generating to deliver a more personalized, meaningful experience, whether that means uh, providing a a personalized view based on your dietary requirements or whether you're a family versus uh, a young couple, et cetera, et cetera. We think there's huge value that we can add 
by making the experience better through digital for, for those that want want to. Uh, on the employee experience, um, I think there's going to be huge impact on the employee experience over the next next few years. And primarily, that's a good thing because we are all, I think, going to make big investments in digital tools that help our teams serve our customers more effectively uh, and more efficiently. You know, th- th- there is just the imperative to do that, frankly, with the challenges we're having around labor shortage at the moment, the inflationary pressures over a long-term period of time, we have to find ways of making it easier and more enjoyable to run our businesses and to run our restaurants. What about if you go in and look into the business and say, which areas has now been digitalized most and which areas are lacking a bit? If we take them a bit like, uh, you know, the, the customer experience and the employee journey, well, what's just ahead of the curve here? So I think most people have started with the customer touch points, uh, which, which makes sense because that's where a lot of value is. I still think there's a lot of um, pretty clunky experiences out there on the market that kind of force consumers to and users to kind of jump through hoops, whether it's, uh, you know, app downloads, account signups, etc. But I, I think most people have started and that will improve over the next few years as, as as we all collectively learn what works and what doesn't. Where I think we will see huge acceleration over the next few years is what I just talked about, which is around that kind of digitization of operations, uh, whether that's around, you know, um, helping chefs in the kitchen with better systems that help uh, manage flow uh, of orders um, into the kitchen and help with uh, the efficient preparation of food for for guests, whether that's around supply chain technologies that help us to forecast more accurately and deliver the right product at the right time in the right place, Um, or whether it's around the tools that our teams use just to run the restaurant, whether that's around safe and and legal health and safety checks, uh, facilities management, uh, asset management, et cetera. I think we're going to see huge digitization of that over the next few years. I think that's that's super interesting when you say labor shortage, how long is that going to go on? Or is that here to stay, maybe? Then, you know, getting these things automated, all these, you know, manual tasks that is in the operation, it's going to be a, a key thing. And, and I can think you could use retail again and see how they already pre-pandemic were shifting from people handling the transactions at the tills to self uh, service in a way and how to actually that how quickly that actually moved the uh, customers in in that direction what is the when we talk about you know we, we choose the technology we we know we want to implement it and what what is the typical obstacles you see then because you talked a bit about like when sometimes you have to bolt something on into some existing infrastructure and also an organization and culture and and you've done it, you know, both in retail and hospitality now. What is the, the biggest barriers for implementation? I think there's a couple. So the first one is something I've already mentioned is unclear goals. So it, it's amazing how often tech investments are focused on outputs over outcomes. So, you know, the output might be delivering an order and pay at table solution. And we all get very excited that we've delivered an order and pay at table solution. Well, actually, what what were you trying to achieve? Is it about participation? Is it about speeding the experience up? Is it about spend per head? Is it about MPS? Uh, and you should actually work backwards from those things. So it, as humans, it's very 
we're kind of drawn to celebrating delivering a thing <laughs> rather than focusing on whether we've delivered the outcome. We, there's lots of, you know, we use a lot of complex language, but it's, yay, I did a thing, um, as opposed to has, has this moved move the dial. So that that's one of the biggest obstacles. I think the other biggest obstacle from a tech perspective is um, persuading your board, your peer set, that there are some things that are better to be done slightly slower in order to get a better long-term result. There are always shortcuts that you can take from an architectural perspective in terms of whether it's you know the vendor you choose or the technology that, that you build. Um, and so as technology leaders, we need to do a great job of explaining to our peers why it might make sense to take an extra month or an extra two months to do something in a particular way by talking about the benefits to the business by doing it in a better way for the long term. And that that, that can be a challenge. That's super interesting. I think it's, it connects very well to, to something else I wanted to ask you about. How is, because you mentioned it indirectly a bit and lots of people talk about digitization, it's still something that happens next to the business strategy it's it's a something we, we we make a decision because we need to do it now and then we just do it it's not something that's connected to the outcomes you're seeking in your business strategy do you think that's going to change now as uh, the reality has come to the industry that this is so key to underpin your strategy with digital initiatives to to get your strategy really to make the impact you want to yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, you know, that's why the, the role that I'm in now was created at the Azira Group, because you know, Steve, our CEO, effectively recognized that we can't think of digital and IT as kind of something over here or, or by the side. It needs to be a core part of our conversation. So, and, and you know, I'm really proud of where we've got to. We had our partnership plan event uh, yesterday. Uh, where we had a hundred of our leaders uh, across all of the brands together, where we were speaking about you know the vision for Zuri Group and our plans over the next three years. And what I was really proud of was digital and IT were mentioned in every single brand presentation and in the Azuri presentation as a really core part of the strategy. Uh, and how does that come about? Well, digital leaders need to be embedded in boards and decision making. So I sit on. The Azuri management team, I sit within each of the brand leadership teams. And those leaders need to, I think I mentioned this earlier, need to be inspired by their fellow board members. So do a lot of listening. Don't just join and dive in with, with loads of thoughts and ideas. Be humble. Um, but then also inspire your peers uh, in equal measure. And so much of great transformations are underpinned by those relationships and the effective collaboration between teams that happens as a result of it. That's super interesting that you can see now, that you can see in your organization that that's actually mentioned in every part of the uh, presentation during the strategy yesterday. What about, you know, you, you mentioned about before, so strategy is one thing, you get the plan in place, but then you, in every company, you have an IT infrastructure. I guess, as you said as well earlier in this conversation, we move very fast. We've thrown in a lot of technology over the pandemic. So what about the infrastructure? I'm thinking about, you know, Wi-Fi here, you know, the ability to the websites, all those things that maybe is pre-pandemic technology that maybe is not up to speed and up to scratch. What's going to happen here? Because I guess that 
yeah, we need to get the infrastructure in place as well. Absolutely. And you need an investment roadmap and an improvement roadmap against your infrastructure product set as much as you need uh, an investment roadmap against your customer facing product set. It goes back to that piece around, you know, what has the pandemic done for organizations that already had that roadmap? They may well have taken the opportunity to accelerate some of those investments. For organizations that didn't have that roadmap, they're going to have to look at that. So we are at the about three months into completely transforming all of our network infrastructure across every single site across the Azuri group with new uh, wireless infrastructure, new network security infrastructure, and new fiber uh, broadband leased lines in each of our restaurants that will give us you know, 100 megabyte up, upload and download speed with kind of uncontended traffic that is solely ours because we need that in order to deliver our vision over the next three to five years where we see customer transactions becoming increasingly digital, where we are going to be deploying increasing volumes of digital tools into our restaurants to help our teams uh, have have an easier time of, uh, of doing their jobs. We were able to pull that forward during the pandemic with some great support from some of our, our key partners, including BT, because we had the the groundwork in place. So we'd spoken within three months of my arrival at the board level about the need to invest in network infrastructure because if we have this vision of you know a, a digital dining experience, it's completely useless if we've got you know a, a two megabyte <laughs> download speed, which is you know worse than you'd have in, in your home broadband. I think it's also important as kind of tech professionals to also be pragmatic. So. In an ideal world, of course, you would inf- invest in that infrastructure and then you would layer everything else on, on top of that. But but we don't live in the ideal world. We live in a real world. So, you know, there have been instances and you will see it in our restaurants today where the experience you have as a customer or using our order and pay at table solution is not ideal in terms of what we would want it to be because we don't have the right Wi-Fi infrastructure in those restaurants. What we're now doing, as I say, is trying to resolve that as quickly as possible but we were able to do that because we had the plans in in place already and that's super interesting you also mentioned a bit about tech stack or the amount of provider you are using what what is uh, your philosophy about you know choosing tech partners and and so on what is important for you when you do that i mean it's it's actually as much about culture as it is about technology uh for me so of course there are you know, technology, uh, you know, there are functional requirements, there are non-functional requirements. Uh, But one of the biggest things that we look for is um, partners that are really customer centric and that we can partner with. So in a world where most of your tech stack is outsourced, there are elements that we build ourselves, but the vast majority of our tech stack, we partner with vendors. We need and want those vendors not to be arm's length uh, we want to work really, really closely with them and we want to feel like they're an extension of our team and we want them to hopefully feel like we're an extension uh, of their team. Uh, and where we find those vendors, we do great things together. And then obviously we need to ensure that they've structured data in the right way, that it's available in the right format via the right API or webhooks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we, you know, do intend to consolidate over time as opposed to increase the number of vendors w- within the ecosystem. Um, but interestingly, my primary concern is cultural as opposed to technical. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. You talked a bit about 
data security before as well and that made me think about the uh, the next probably challenge we'll be hit with because i've seen other industries suddenly have you know cybersecurity issues somebody goes in and steal your customer database and then does something with it should and you've seen all these episodes uh, in in the news about you know different companies getting into real trouble because they didn't have a security loop that was strong enough to get keep hackers out of the the, the system is that also uh, a challenge as we go forward as we we're switching more stuff on i think so yes i mean it's a challenge today and it will it will become a bigger challenge over time for two reasons one that you've pointed out which is the volume of customer data will grow the the second being just the you know the the volume of uh, malicious activity is increasing and everything i've read has said that that will continue to increase so you have to do two things you have to try and design it out wherever possible so like many other businesses we're pci compliant so we don't hold card holder data anywhere on any system um, and so, you know, we're effectively trying to mitigate as much risk as possible before you even get kind of threat detection and prevention, um, which is obviously the second part of that, which is making sure that, you know, you're architecting your systems in a in a secure way and that you're allowing external um, vendors and consultants to kind of continually test that and keep you honest because you'll always miss things. Um, but then investing in the right technology that helps you identify suspicious activity uh, on your devices on your network and kind of quarantines that um you know automatically so we we spend quite a lot of time in our infrastructure team uh focusing on that and you're right you know our focus needs to remain on that and, and if anything grow over the next few years you talked also a bit about um if we move a bit about way, away from tech stack to actually how the organization operates and organize itself and you you touched them in the beginning. There's a we need to find a new way of organizing and working in an organization. What do you exactly mean by that? And uh, do we actually need to change the way we lead our businesses on a day-to-day basis to get digitalization to work better? Yeah, I mean, besides what I've already talked about in terms of organizing around outcomes and kind of working, building cross-functional teams back f- f- from outcomes, I think there's some real practical um insights that many people will now be kind of experiencing based on this new kind of world of hybrid work which is that there's a much higher value placed on kind of written communication ironically uh, for for digital transformation Um, many organizations perhaps like us are kind of in the process of moving from a culture where we may all have been in the office together and therefore relied on quite high levels of informal collaboration where you know we just wander up to one another's desks and pick each other's brains um, on xyz and, and whilst we are returning to the office we will be in a much more hybrid um, kind of way of working going forwards and so one of the things that w- we need to do and i would argue other organizations need to do is place more value on really clear written communication because we may not be in the room at the same time as the individual. We may not be working at the same time 
as the other individual. So having really clearly documented outcomes that we're trying to achieve that are visible to everyone that's working on the project, having really clear ways of working, whether that's using things like Scrum or Kanban boards, et cetera, that give you a real visual indication of what has been done, what is in progress and what is to do are really practical ways that can actually make working in this hybrid world actually extremely effective. Do you also think that uh, I've heard other couple other people says that before in the old paradigm they called it minidim to put an umbrella over there was there was one source of the truth in a way and it came from from head office from top and out into to restaurants but what they say is that you know digitization can actually help turning that around actually the best ideas will then come from the restaurants into head office because suddenly you have some digital challenge to channels to, to facilitate that because maybe as a CEO or a, an ops person, you'll be in that restaurant maybe once a year for a CEO and for the ops person once a month. Is that something that's been discussed internally with you as well, how you get the, the front line involved? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we partner with Forth from a kind of people systems perspective. So, we use their Engage apps across all of our brands. Um, and we use that to, you know, both communicate with all of our teams, but to your point, and probably more importantly, listen to our teams, whether it's things that are um, on their mind, things that are, you know, issues for them, or ideas they have around um, changes we can make to um, our, our proposition. We, we use that you know, heavily. We also invest uh, in kind of quarterly surveys with all of our teams, which is their opportunity to kind of have their say. And we're always asking for ideas to to run the business better um, from those surveys. And then finally, in a practical way, when it comes to digital, we nearly always follow a methodology where we try and release what, you know, we would kind of call a, you know, an MVP or kind of minimum viable proposition to a small group of users first before we go any further. Um, and where that's colleague facing technology, the colleagues are obviously the users and we are looking for their feedback and input, but equally where it's customer facing technology. So our order and pay at table platform, which we built ourselves, we spent three to five months building and testing and iterating that with three sites who we were in kind of weekly contact with and a whole load of their ideas went into features that we then built into the product which means that it's optimized for the ops team and for the kitchen as best as it can be as well as being optimized for the for the customer journey so so you're absolutely right we, we try and bake that colleague feedback loop and team member feedback loop into everything that we do and as this digitalization is happening and organization your the way of operating organization change is there any you touched a bit in the beginning skills and knowledge that's needed in hospitality we didn't have before i'm thinking about digital skills and knowledge is there a gap there uh, yes, I, I think there, there there probably is because effectively, if you're trying to move from a world where IT was historically seen as a cost center, um, where you know effectively that your role as a as a head of IT or or a CIO was to manage manage the cost effectively and keep the lights on, to a world where digital is a strategic capability that has a seat at the table and is a partner 
for brands uh, to help co-develop a business strategy underpinned by technology. That does require different skill sets. And it's not that the old skill sets are no longer relevant. They are as relevant today as they were five to 10 years ago. But those skill sets need to be augmented with, uh, you know, strategic uh, thinking, uh, agile ways of working uh, and thinking, cross-functional working and and collaboration. Um, And then the final point I make is around how we fund technology investment. So I've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the importance of outcomes over outputs, but the vast majority of investments are still made on an output basis, which is here's X pounds to deliver Y. What we did uh, at Sainsbury's and what we're implementing at Azuri at the moment is move to an adaptive funding model whereby we would have a a long-term vision and a set of outcomes aligned to a portfolio uh, of technology products. We would then effectively ask for that funding on a quarterly basis and we'll go back to the board each quarter with a progress update, not in terms of the stuff we've done, but in terms of the metrics we're trying to influence and effectively explain the link between the investment we're making in technology and the metrics that we are uh, influencing to understand early on, on a quarterly basis, whether it's moving the dial or not, and then adapting our funding accordingly. So it's classic stop, start, continue. Uh, And companies need to be open to thinking of different ways of funding technology investment to deliver great outcomes. Because if you don't, there's a risk that you've just effectively signed off a 12 to 18 month project for X million pounds uh, and you get to the end of it and you haven't delivered what you expected in the first place. And I guess that's one of the things that hangs over technology projects because I've seen a lot of them myself, three year projects signed off for, for millions of pounds and you say, <laughs> and then you come to the end of it and uh, you know, even don't even, and not even the foundation of the house is in place and you think, what has happened? Yeah, uh, because again, you didn't com- combine and are connected to an outcome in the strategy. Yeah, it's absolutely that, and 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 constructing your roadmaps in such a way that you are biasing towards deli- early delivery of value. So how how can you build your technology roadmap so you can deliver something as early as possible and learn as early as possible because it's all about learning and then using that feedback to build something better and you're talking about learning loops here i guess and create them very quickly and then and as i thought it was really interesting you talked about as well then instead of being fixed on a a budget of an investment actually you go back and ask and say what we've learned now either needs less or more absolutely yeah yeah and also because of the uncertainty and, and and you're in the unknown sometimes with digital projects because technology moves so fast i guess as well yeah and it just gives you much more autonomy and freedom uh, as a leader and as a team because you're effectively asking for funding to deliver an outcome if you feel early on that something isn't on track to deliver there's nothing then stopping you pivoting to move to something else which you think has a better chance of delivering that outcome and you can just get on with that without huge amounts of kind of going back up and down the 
the, the bureaucratic chain to get sign off for, for X, Y, or Z. So that is really empowering, but it's also really focusing because effectively it creates a, an accountability mechanism where my accountability no longer becomes about just delivering the project I said I would deliver and to hell with what with the outcome it delivers. But my accountability is now actually, is it delivering the outcome that we said it would? And if it's not, Let's do something different. Good, good, good. That's really super interesting, this. But we're coming to the end, Joel. That's one question I want to ask you here on, uh, before we finish. If you can give one piece of advice, you've already given lots of advice in this conversation, but one piece of advice that could actually maybe, most people have probably started their digital journey, but what is like your one piece of advice to hospitality leaders out there? Well, I'd, I'd say you need to be thirsty and learn as much as you can. We're all morons basically you know we all know less than one percent um of, of everything that's out there in regards to digital and technology uh and so c coming out of that with humility and recognizing that you know i know almost nothing um and using that as an opportunity just to learn and soak up as much as you can whether that's from your vendors whether that's from your teams whether that's from external sources you know podcasts like this or Uh, conferences, books, etc. The second thing is to be humble and listen as much as you can. You know, it, it's quite easy to, having done that learning and, and continuing to, to learn, to want to rush into an organization and go, well, you could do this or you could do that or have you thought about X or have you thought about Y? It, it, it's great practice just to um, pause and listen to your peer group Uh, as much as you can and then what i find is if you've done those two things so if you're learning as much as you can and if you're listening as much as you can you can then practice combining those things so combining what have you heard in terms of what your 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 peer group and the and the business that you're working within is trying to achieve and what you've learned and therefore what you bring to the table in terms of your subject matter expertise And combine those to create really compelling visions and strategies that gets everyone's buy-in and sets the agenda for the next few years. It's very interesting what you say there because I was sitting and thinking Peter Schengen, the learning organization back from yeah, is it 90 or is it later? But he talks exactly about that, and it feels like decades later we are starting to arrive to that form of organization just to be able to survive. We can't avoid not becoming learning organizations now, which is a totally different subject. I just thought it was such such a, <laughs> that was such a connection to what you said as well with being humble, mastery. You you talked about these things as well, system thinking, yes. and so on. Yeah, good. We could talk about talk about this for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, because <laughs> we still have so much to learn, as you say. But thank you so much, Joel, for for coming on the show and uh, for having this conversation, ascending you and the team at Azuri Group, uh, power and energy for, for your digital journey. And I'm sure we're going to touch base in the, in, in the near future. It's my absolute pleasure. And thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Joel, for your great insights on digital transformation and the importance of thinking goals, return of investment and outcomes that impact business performance, not just choosing a new technology. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share it with anyone you think would benefit. The Digital Titan series is brought to you by the wonderful people at Beta Mojo, the technology company powering the best food and drinks businesses in the UK and Europe. Trusted by leading brands including Nando's, Brewhouse and Kitchen, Leon and Yo Sushi. 
and beta mojo helps operators transform their operations through technology check them out at betamojo.com or contact them directly at sales at betamojo.com you can also download the free digital transformation of hospitality report via the link in the show notes or true betamojo's website under the resource tab thank you for listening <laughs>